morning, I want you to take your Bibles, or you can use the Pew Bible, or you can use your electronic device to turn to Matthew chapter 20. But before we go there, I'd just like to appreciate the prayerful and the worshipful time that we've had in music. But I want to share something with you that today is a day of prayer and appreciation for law enforcement. We thank God for those who are in law enforcement. We appreciate their sacrifice, their time, and their talent serving us. And so I just wanted to encourage you to pray for them uh, because, hey, in the day and age that we live in, it's quite difficult. Uh, Things have changed, the culture is changing, and we just ask that you would just uh, pray for them. In 1995, I was approached by the then police chief, Denny Barracks, uh, in Milan, if I would become a police chaplain. And so I served there, oh, into like, I want to say 2014. And uh, he gave me the parameters. He said, this is what you can do, this is what you can't do, and then what we'll do is we'll give you a little bit of training. You can ride along with police officers. Uh, Hey, you can uh, walk with me, and and, uh, you can go with me when we have to make notifications of different things. And, you know, um, police officers have to make decisions in just a fraction of a second. And uh, I've seen the good, the bad, and I've been with them, and I appreciate uh, what they do for our community. And so what I'd like to do is just ask you to bow your heads right now, and I'd like to ask you to just pray for them, that you would pray that God would put his arms around them and, and watch over them, that he would guide them, give them wisdom, and, and that keep them sharp. Uh, you know, and... Romans 13, it's their sacred task to enforce the law and protect the innocent and punish the guilty. And we pray that they'd be protected. Give them wisdom, give them discernment, and thank you for their deep desire to serve. Let me just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for law enforcement. We thank you for all those who are involved in all the way from the 911 Uh, callers, and then also to the police officers, we just ask that you would just minister grace to them. We are thankful for the country that we live in. Father, we know that we live in a day and age where there's a lot of division in the land. We grieve every life lost to violence and regardless of color or creed, and we especially grieve this day over the senseless death of law enforcement officers who are sworn with their sworn duty to protect us from harm. Please grant comfort and hope to their families. Father, we want to stand together with them and lift their hands up in prayer. And Father, we just ask that you would be with the leaders of our land, that you would give them wisdom. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. We ask that as we worship you and we take a look into your word, that you would stir our hearts. You see each person that's here. You see our needs. And Father, we pray that you would meet those needs. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, You know, this is a great time uh, for celebrating graduations, high school, college graduations. Uh, They're especially festive uh, this year, uh, probably because last year's were curtailed. And so, but let me just share this little fact with you. The United States Air Force Academy outside of Colorado Springs, there's an interesting tradition at each year's graduation. Graduates receive their degree in order of class rank. If you have the best grade point average for four years, you receive your diploma first. If you have the worst class rank, 
You receive your diploma last. Boy, can you imagine that? It's both exhilarating and embarrassing depending on where you fall. Now imagine if we were all lined up before God based on our eternal rank. Who do you think would be first? Who do you think would be last? Question is, where would you stand? Where would you stand? Uh, Take a look at Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. Uh, We're going to take a look at Mrs. Zebedee's and her request for her boys. It says, Then the mother of the son of Zebedee's came up to him with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup. But to sit on my right hand or at my left hand is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard that, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You know, throughout the centuries, Mrs. Zebedee has kind of gotten a bad rap. And I think that, you know, her asking for her sons to sit on, on the right or the left, it, you know, I, I, can't, I can't give her any criticism because a Christian mother wanting her boys to be so close to Jesus, I mean, let's cut her some slack here, will you? But Jesus doesn't condemn her. He doesn't, I mean, he even knows the desire for for greatness or the quest for a higher rank. And then he gives us a a true opportunity to know how to truly be great. Think about this. We were saved to serve. And God wants us to be great in his service. You know, in this era of Christian celebrityism, uh, what do we often mistake for greatness in our world is the opposite of the standard of heaven. In fact, at the end of the previous chapter, Jesus is saying, but many who are first will be last and the last first. Are you surprised by who God uses? Have you ever considered the behind-scene people that serve and are used by God? And we think that it's only the upfront people that God uses. Let's take, for an example, Billy Graham. We all have heard Billy Graham's testimony. Uh, We know that uh, he accepted Christ during a meeting conducted by the well-known preacher Mordecai Ham in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1934. Billy Graham's told that story of his conversions in numerous publications. But Dr. Ham adds a few facts that aren't in uh, Billy Graham's description. He says this, two young high school boys attended our meetings. They thought that everything I said was directed their way. So they decided to take their seats in the choir where I couldn't point my finger at them. 
they didn't pretend to be singers, but they wanted to be behind me. And that was Billy Graham and Grady Wilson, best friends. He continues, one night a man spoke to them during the invitation and said, come on, let's go up front. Billy and Grady both went up front. Billy Graham surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Grady had already accepted Christ and surrendered his life to full-time Christian service. Now, the question I have for you, who was the faithful servant that spoke to them and then encouraged them to respond to the invitation? No one knows. He's nameless. But his willingness to step out, to speak to these young boys, has eternal consequences that no one knows until we get to heaven. Let's think about that for a little while. Those, who else had a part in Billy Graham's coming to Christ? Thousands flocked to hear Dr. Ham preach in that tabernacle, that sprawling ramshack building with sawdust, ground cover, built especially for the occasion. What about the builders? What about the people that spread the sawdust? What about the people that set up the chairs and made preparation for the service? There are nameless servants that had a part in Billy Graham's salvation and consequently every person who came to Christ during Billy Graham's ministry. Who's the who's in this story was the greatest? For those who desire to be truly great for God, Jesus gives us some advice that we ought to heed. So the first thing is, in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus says this, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Basically, he wants us to serve him with our strengths. God gives us certain strengths. It's a common practice in the Roman Empire for people to use their authority for selfish purposes, their own gain. Those people with natural strengths physically and leadership skills in their position and so on, they use their strengths to get more or to bully people around. They enjoy bossing people around and they felt good when they made others feel bad. Does that sound familiar? You know, there's, there are employees out there who like to keep their employees run scared. Uh, this is the parent who's always showing the kids who the boss is. This is the big guy who push, pushes others around. This is the person who abuses power and strengths, whether emotional, physically, or mentally, to build themselves up and tear others down. And Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. The followers of Jesus are to use their strength to help, not hurt. Uh, to build up, not tear down. For making others stronger, not weak. So in simple terms, it's like this. This is the Christian who has the right of way on the road or in the parking lot, but gives it up to let the other car in. Uh, this is the Christian who leads from the heart of benefiting others, not building their own kingdom. This is the Christian who doesn't always have to win the argument. This is the Christian who, from the position of strength, is always looking to the needs of others rather than themselves. What else does Jesus say in this passage about being truly great for God? Well, serve with a servant's heart. Servants were an important part of the culture during Jesus' time. Everyone understood what Jesus was talking about when he used the word servant. In the 1900s, the number one occupation in America was farming. 51% of the population involved were involved in farming. 
The second list did one was that of the occupation of domestic servant. Now, in our current culture, the occupation of servant has largely disappeared. Most of us have never heard or met a domestic servant. Now, let's clarify what a servant was in Jesus' day. A servant is defined as a person who is employed to do something for someone else. It usually is to do what others don't want to do. You know, when I was in college at Faithway Baptist College, I was on a student work uh, scholarship. It was a small school, so many of the tasks were varied. And basically, I was on call from time to time to do whatever they needed me to do and what I was capable of doing. And uh, one day I got the call that there were some issues with the honey pit. Anybody have any idea what the honey pit was? It was the septic tank. And it wasn't empty. And so I drew the short straw and I had to climb in, holding the pipe together while someone with a little bit more seniority got it working. Now, I was feeling like a lowly servant. But thinking back, I don't think my attitude was all that great at that time. Now, Jesus said that our attitude should be, how can I serve others? What can I do for someone that they cannot do for themselves? You know, another word is volunteer. A volunteer is defined as someone who freely offers to undertake a task. In modern affluent America, you might think that there are very few volunteers for service, but the statistics are are impressive. Peter Drucker, the business management guru, saw America's nonprofit sector as the largest employer with every second adult volunteering time weekly. Drucker saw volunteerism as essential to the smooth functioning of society as well as satisfying the way of ensuring that work doesn't consume your life. Drucker's recommendation was pretty simple. Find an organization, a cause that you believe in, and get to work. In the year 2018, Volunteering America reported that there were 77.4 million adults that volunteered 3.5 hours a week. We have numerous servants here at Edgewood, and we're grateful for each and every one of those servants. Uh, We've kind of tried to replace the term volunteer at Edgewood with servant as a way to remind ourselves that this attitude should be a part of everything that we do. Uh, This is a servant organization. There is a massive amount of things that are going on on a weekly basis. A huge portion of it gets done here at Edgewood, but then there's a lot of it that's taking place in the community and serving schools or organizations or group. You know, we have a member who teaches classes to -to fathers-to-be at Pregnancy Resource. We have members who serve at Youth Hope with tutoring and their food pantry. We have faithful servants who teach children here. Now, one of those faithful servants has been teaching children Sunday school for 60-plus years, and that's Loretta Reynolds, and she's here this morning. Loretta, why don't you stand so people... Now, I know she's going to be mad at me. She's going to be upset with me, but why don't you stand, Loretta? Where are you? Right there. Now, here's, you know, Loretta's here all the time. She's here whether she feels like it or not. You know, if you go up to ask Loretta, how are you feeling today? She'll tell you that she's got an ache here and she's got an ache there. But here's what I'm going to get to. She shows up. 
She's here. Do you know, last Sunday at the 9 o'clock service, we started our children's program again, our Sunday school program. Loretta was there to love and serve those children. Thank you, Loretta. Appreciate it. I'd like you to watch this little video clip of Jim Eckblad. Uh, Jim Eckblad, uh, you know, during the COVID, would come on Thursdays and he would be videotaped by my wife because he works with a special group in Awana. And then I'll tell you a little bit more after the video. All right, Cubbies, hang on. Listen, everybody, I have to go talk to these people about the love of God. I'll be right back, okay? All right. Hi, Edgewood. Jim Eckblad here. Some of you know me as Mr. Jim. Um, Pastor Ed asked me to talk to you about my experience here at uh, Edgewood about being involved in service. Um, it started back in 99. My wife and I, uh, Kathy, had been coming for about seven years or so after we got married. I happened to be working here for my uh, contractor working on ceilings and I was walking around on stilts doing some ceilings and and I got down and Pastor Ed came over and talked to me and he said I said you notice I noticed that you've been coming around here and uh, I just like to know you know how can we get you plugged in here at Edgewood and I it just you know those moments when we make decisions to change our lives don't always seem like we're going to change our lives and I said well I'm just a big kid how about in, we'll start in uh something in kids ministries and so that's where I started out and was in children's ministry and it's been over 20 years now with uh, cubbies I've also done uh, uh, some things a little bit of time in celebrate recovery I was in the choir I think that was nine years and it's just been wonderful but I'll be honest when it first started even in the cubbies what the attitude kind of was well like the Dunkin Donut commercial well gotta go make the donuts and I'd be kind of dragging, and oh, I gotta go make the donuts. Well, and not too long, much later, it turned into that song by Stephen Curtis Chapman Saddle up your horses, we got a trail to blaze. And it has been a, a, a ride ever since because God takes me to places that are just, I'll get into that, I'll tell you. And, and if you're worried about, you know, I don't know if I can do that or whatever, I, I limit myself. God, God pushes me all the time. We have a saying in children's ministry that God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And if you'll show up with a blank piece of paper and a willing heart, he'll fill in the blanks. I promise you that. He will fill in the blanks. And because it doesn't make sense. I'm a 66-year-old man telling Bible stories to three, four, and five-year-olds. All right? And loving it. Loving every minute of it. it helps keep me young, okay? All their, all their vitality and everything. There's three things I've learned about service to the Lord though. One is you can't outgive God. All right. You can try. I dare you, but you can't. When I give in towards him to other his his kids, it's unstoppable. I get blessed more than I gave. It's it's hard to explain. The second one is his world's a lot bigger than my world. All right. When I was coming regularly with Kathy, like Pastor Ed said, I was coming, but I was coming to get. I wasn't coming to give. And it changes everything when you come to give. It blows everything up. 
because it's never enough when I'm trying to get, get, get. But when I'm giving, you like I say, I can't outgive God. And, and, it, and so it, he's taken me places and shown me things and, and I've met people and everything. His world's just a lot bigger than when I'm trying to manage my little, my little uh, realm. The other one is his faithfulness. I've had some health issues over the last couple of years. There have been some times in the previous year where I literally did not have the strength. I barely made it in my car to get over here on a Wednesday night to do Juana. And God gave me the strength, not at home. He gave me the strength when I got here. And he gave me the words. There's a saying that says, you can pretend to care, but you can't pretend to show up. All right? And so much, especially with the kids, they see us week after week coming talking about this love of God, this love of God, all the things that Jesus did. And we embody that by living it for them on, a, on a, sometimes weekly and sometimes more often. There's a John Wooden quote that says, don't let what you can't do prevent you from doing what you can do. And my prayer today is, God, remove my fear and demonstrate through me what you can do. That Christ embodiment, that's what I'm doing. Our leadership shows it by the way they serve constantly. Our, our Lord Jesus, he came, he's the son of God. He is God Almighty in the flesh. He, what did he do? He came and served. <laughs> he gave of himself constantly. Just like John the Baptist said, I must become lesser, so, but he must become more, all right? I don't grow spiritually through addition. I grow spiritually through subtraction. I know it's one of those God things that doesn't make sense, but that's the truth. When I push my little plans and schemes aside, surrender to serving God, I become more, more like Him. I, I, the, the characteristics of God shine through me because they're in me. So it's time for me to saddle up. <laughs> I got to get back. We got to sing with the cubbies. So, all right, cubbies, start humming. Start humming. Yeah, we're, all right, we're going to sing our cubby song. Remember, we have to hum before we warm up. Hum. All right, here we go. All right, I'll see you in service, Edgewood. My wife would, uh, because he couldn't make it uh, many Wednesday nights uh, this during the COVID, my wife would have him come on Thursdays. She would videotape him. The kids would all sing with him. He'd lead songs or teach stories. And then the last night of Moana, he was able to come in, and when he walked down the main aisle to lead the Cubbies in, the lead, in their song, they were just screaming, jumping up and down. They sang their loudest for him, and it was fabulous. And then he had to go back out in the foyer, and it just so happens Pastor Brian was out there, and, and so was Daryl Knowles. And uh, here, here's Jim standing here, Pastor Brian standing here, and Jim, uh, I mean, uh, Daryl Knowles is there, and Jim, or excuse me, Daryl nudges Pastor Brian and points at him and says, he led me to Jesus Christ. Wow. I want to thank everyone who's involved in any way of serving here at Edgewood. I mean, whether you're in the cafe, whether you're picking up stuff, whatever you're doing, you're working with different people, teaching different classes, whatever, your servant's heart is one of the most important things, and we greatly appreciate you. And this is really a message about thanking you for all that you do. Now, just in case, if we pick up a few people that want to volunteer, hang with this, all right? 
hang with us. Now, hey, the next subject is serving in the shadows. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Now, this is totally opposite in the world's great notion of greatness. We usually think of the greatest person up front, the person with the most recognition, the person in the spotlight. But according to Jesus, whoever wants to be great must be a slave. During Bible times, slaves lived in the shadows. Their job was to make their masters look good, their masters to be known, and in the spotlight. But slaves were supposed to be invisible, anonymous. It is a consistent theme throughout the Bible that God chooses for greatness those who prefer the shadows. Think about this, Moses. And he insisted, oh, I can't speak. I, I can't be an upfront guy. Why don't you let Aaron? And all of a sudden, God took the stuttering, humble, broken man into the shadows and made him a great leader. How about Saul? A young Jewish man who hid in the baggage when Samuel wanted to anoint him king of Israel. He'd rather hide than be in the spotlight. But God made him a king. Then David. David was anointed as the next king, but took the job as a servant to his predecessor, Saul. And then what about John the Baptist? He was the most popular preacher in Israel for a time. But he insisted that he must step out of the the spotlight and into the shadows. And he stepped back to point people to Jesus. Here's what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist. He was the greatest man that ever lived. The greatest man who ever lived. Let's take a look at the John the Apostle. He insisted upon remaining anonymous. And did you know that he never calls himself by name in the Gospel of John? He always refers himself as the other disciple or the disciple whom Jesus loved. John served in the shadows anonymously. Have you ever wondered who will be most famous in heaven? Humor me here. I know our value system will be totally different in heaven. Uh, I suspect that the people that we've never heard of before will be first. People who are humble people, anonymous people, servants in the shadows, Christians who with their lives always put Jesus in the spotlight, men and women who didn't want anyone to see them or honor them, faithful servants who gave glory to Jesus Christ. If you want to be great, give the spotlight to Jesus and choose the shadows for yourself. If you want to be great for God, You need to serve like Jesus. It says this, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That was Jesus' fourth piece of advice. Be like him. He refers to himself as the Son of Man. It seems pretty basic that we should want to be like Jesus as Christ followers. But here especially he says we are to be like him and that he left heaven to become a servant. Now, this is the biblical story. Jesus was forever the eternal Son of God. He lived in heaven where his every request was granted. He spoke worlds into existence. Angels instantly answered every one of his desires. Then he took upon himself a human form, born in a stable. He grew up simply in the home of a carpenter. He began his public ministry at 30 He talked about God on mountainsides or seasides. He touched people that had diseases that no one else would touch. He got down on his knees to wash the dirty feet of ordinary men. What comparisons would that be like? 
maybe like Bill Gates getting minimum page working at Best Buy in the computer department. Or maybe Aaron Rodgers working as a groundkeeper at Lambeau Field. Or maybe David Platt starting a small church in rural Africa. Or maybe Josh Groban taking voice lessons from me. (laughs) Jesus was the most important person in the universe. He became a servant. He was great. I personally see this happening at Edgewood. People who are considered important in their field, serving like Jesus, who come not to be served, but to serve. You know, we have a retired Moline director of parks and recreation serving in an organization uh, of Celebrate Recovery and preparing meals and serving those meals on Friday night. Uh, We have a well-known certified public accountant teaching boys Sunday school. We have a retired college business administrator serving grieving families by organizing and preparing funeral luncheons. And I could go on and on. And they get it. They know that we need to serve like Jesus. And Jesus continues to tell his followers how they can be great. And the next point is serving sacrificially. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knows sacrifice better than anyone. He tells anyone who wants to be great for God to be ready to sacrifice. There has never been and never will be anyone greater than Jesus Christ. Uh, There never has been and never will be a greater sacrifice than Jesus giving up his life to die on the cross to ransom us sinners from eternal death. Jesus wants us to know that greatness through service always has a price. The cost of time. It takes a lot of hours to serve others. The cost of recognition. Servants are seldom famous or adequately honored. There are many opportunities to serve that are behind the scenes. Then there's the cost of criticism. As a servant, it's sometimes surprising that you face criticism. Even the best of servants can be criticized for many things they do. Sacrifice is giving up something that you have every right to keep. Jesus had every right to remain in heaven with his Father, but he sacrificed by coming to earth in the form of a human child. He gave hours of his life to bring us to God. He lived a life of service and a life where he faced criticism and rejection. He made the ultimate sacrifice when he was willing to die on the cross for us, to take upon himself the punishment for our sins. He freely gave so that we could have a relationship with God, so that we could be redeemed and rescued from sin and its consequences. Now, if you're here today and you've never established a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, today could be your day. All you have to do is do the ABCs. All you have to do is agree with God that you're a sinner. And then B, you have to believe in your heart that Christ died on the cross for our sins, that he rose again triumphantly over sin, and you have to believe that. He did that for you, and then you have to confess it with your mouth. And then, hey, when I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I went and talked to my pastor. My pastor said, hey, would you like me to lead you in a prayer? He had gone through the Romans road, and I said, no, I I, I think I'm a big enough boy. I can pray by myself. And I prayed and I said, God, forgive me my sins. Christ, forgive me. Come into my life for the rest of my life. And then the pastor 
looked up and he said, the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you were the only person on the face of the earth, Jesus would come and do that just for you because that's how much he loves you. And then he made a teenage boy cry because for the first time in my life, I didn't have to jump through a hoop. Somebody took me just the way I was. And he'll do that in your life today if you'll let him. Jesus loves us, cares for us. God loves you and he gave his only son so that you could live with him forever in heaven. So let's do a little review here. He tells us to serve with our strength, serve with a servant's heart, serve in the shadows, serve like Jesus, and serve sacrificially. Only time will reveal the impact of your service. I want to share with you a story about Henrietta Mears. Henrietta Mears was born October 23rd in 1890 in Fargo, North Dakota. She was the seventh child of her parents. Her mother died when she was 20. Her father, a banker, lost most of his money in the panic of 1893. They settled, they resettled in Minnesota, um, in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Henrietta was troubled by poor health her whole life. She contracted muscular rheumatism at age 12. She also suffered from bad eyesight her whole life, and her doctors advised her not to continue taking her studies at the University of Minnesota, telling her that she could become blind by the age of 30. However, she continued and she graduated, and she taught chemistry at Central High School. She attended First Baptist Church and began teaching Sunday school, and she applied the educational standards to Sunday school lessons she taught that she had learned. Then she traveled to the First Presbyterian Church of Hollywood, California, after hearing the pastor there speak in Minneapolis. She was offered the position of Christian Education uh, Director. She led the Sunday school program there, and she began with 400, eventually reaching 6,500 on a weekly basis. Henrietta profoundly impacted the ministries of so many preachers. Many preachers we will never know, but there's a list on her Wikipedia site. But then here's who else is recorded on our Wikipedia site. Uh, Bill and Vonette Bright, Campus Crusade directors, or started that. It's now known as Crew. Jim Rayburn, who started Young Life, and Billy Graham. And there's many, many more. Mears is believed by many theologians to have most directly shaped Bill Bright's four spiritual laws which define the modern evangelism in the 20th century. Henrietta may not be a name many are familiar with, but she knew how to truly be great. She served through teaching faithfully God's Word. question is, how can you serve? You might be wondering, well, hey, what, you know, what do I have to give? You, you know, I see other people with this gift, that gift, and they can do this and that. Well, hey, here are a couple of things. Let me take a look at uh, this acronym SHAPE. Let's take a look at SHAPE for a minute here, will you? Uh, S here is about spiritual gifts. 
uh, spiritual gifts, the Holy Spirit lives within each one of us, and the spiritual gifts that we have could be maybe leadership, maybe encouragement, evangelism, giving helps, maybe mercy showing, teaching, and others. And, and if you want to find out what your gift is, what I'd encourage you to do go to is uh, right now media right now. You can do that on your app. Go to Edgewood website. Uh, if you want to take one of those connection cards, put your email on there, and Pastor Tim will show you exactly how to get connected because uh, right now media is the Netflix of Bible studies, and you can get a free account. It doesn't cost you a dime. And these are two resources that you could take a look at. Who, me, gifted or gifted for love? And those are two great resources that you could take a look at. And, and it... it then it goes to your heart. Heart represents your desires, your hopes, your interests, your ambitions, your dreams and affections. What are you passionate about? What gets you turned on? What gets you wanting to move? What, what is something that you're all about? And then your abilities. We all have different kinds of abilities. Now take a look at this first one. People who talk, uh, talk to people on elevators. Do you talk to people on elevators? I don't talk to them on airplanes, but I talk to them on elevators. You know, I live here in Milan, and uh, right behind my house is uh, the bank. I don't drive to the bank. I, I walk up to the bank, and I usually use that tube thing that shoots it up and comes back. And so I'm standing there waiting for a deposit, and this guy rolls down his window, and he, he, he says, hey, what kind of mileage do you get? Uh, we're getting down. We're getting down. I mean, I thought, man, that guy, he's, he's got the gift of gab. Or, or maybe there's somebody here that you secretly just love to do taxes. I mean, that just turns you on. Those numbers are like, wow, they empower you. Or maybe you organize your closet by color. Maybe you cook food that other people actually actually enjoy eating. Or maybe you build things that don't fall down. Or maybe you, you know how to manage your money and you could teach other people how to do that. But these are just some clues to the unique abilities that each and every one of you have. And then personalities. God uses every type of individual. You know, there's, the, there's these instruments that you can take and, and you know, some of them have initials and uh, you can kind of take a look at that or some of them have animal, uh, animal characteristics that are displayed by your personality. But God selected you personally and there's no one else like you. Now, whether your personality is silly or serious, outgoing or reserved, maybe you're willing to wear a silly hat like Jim. I mean, action-oriented. Maybe you're thoughtful. Maybe you're reflective. God will use you to help grow the kingdom for Him. And then your experiences. The good, the bad, the ugly. All of those are used in God's hand to impact and serve others. God never wastes a hurt. Some of the most important, impactful ministries we'll be able to do in your life will come from redeeming your most painful hurts. So how can you be truly used by God? By serving the way Jesus did. So here's the conclusion. Dave Runyon wrote the book, The Art of Neighboring. I just started teaching a four-week course downstairs at 9 o'clock, and I had someone fill in for me today. Uh, this is a great book on how to minister to your neighbors. But he gives this illustration that's a wonderful illustration, and here it is. 
on September 6, 1995, at Camden Yards in Baltimore, the Baltimore Orioles and the California Angels played an unforgettable game. The sellout crowd in Baltimore and millions of people who saw the game live on television had the opportunity to witness one of the truly great achievements in the history of sports. On that night, Carl Ripken played in his 2,131st consecutive game, breaking one of the most unattainable records in baseball history, Lou Gehrig's 2,130 consecutive games played. When it became official after the fifth inning, the crowd cheered for Ripkins for 22 minutes, with 46,000 fans screaming themselves whores, and some wiping away tears, Ripken ran the warning track at Camden Yards. So you're going, what's the big deal? What did Cal Ripken do to achieve this? For 14 years straight, he played every single game of every single season. He simply showed up and did his job. Even during injuries, hitting droughts, discouragement, he was committed to the small things, just being there. In serving and becoming great for God, it's often the small things that count. So those of you who serve, serve faithfully. The way God has shaped you, Focus faithfully on the small things day in and day out. Now here to quote Dave Runyon, just share what you love to do. Make small steps. Give the little you have and watch God do the miracle. I prayed and asked God to stir your heart. Think about what God wants for you in serving Him for the rest of your life. God created you, and He wants to make you great, but you have to do it His way. So let's go out in the neighborhoods, out in the communities, our workplaces, and our world to be great for God. Let's pray. Father, we come before You We thank you for the time that we've had together. We thank you for worshiping in song. We thank you for the testimony of Jim. We thank you for the faithfulness of servants all through the years. Father, we want to make Edgewood a lighthouse in the community. But God, we can't do it alone. We need help. Uh, You've said in your word The fields are white under the harvest. Father, we need more workers. So, Father, stir hearts today. Challenge us. Help us to commit to living fully devoted lives to Jesus Christ and giving our lives to something that will last for eternity. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.